Before beginning today, I do want to share that this episode contains conversation about suicide that may be disturbing for some listeners. If it is, please tune out or in at a time that might be better for you. Also, there's a bit of a language warning in today's conversation. It's all within context, but I did want to let you know that it's there. Hi, I'm Susie McAvale. I live and work on Wurundjeri Wirrawong country in Nam, Melbourne, Australia. And working in education, I've noticed that in this COVID era, young people are not coping with life as well as they used to. But what I've come to understand is these symptoms are signs of a bigger picture and that some of us adults, we also need some help with how to deal with life changes, particularly when it comes to understanding ourselves and relating to one another and our kids. The Let's Check In podcast shares stories and strategies of real people who commit to paving positive ways forward through uncertainty. We talk about the things that you didn't learn at school, that you wish someone had prepared you for. So, let's check in. Hi, and welcome to the Let's Check In podcast. Mark Gascoigne runs a successful 150-hectare, 450-cow dairy farm in central Waikato, south of Cambridge, in the upper North Island of New Zealand. Mark suffered from debilitating anxiety and depression for many years, although no one would have known because he hid it away, embarrassed and ashamed at not being able to meet his own expectations. But after losing two friends and one family member to suicide, he finally came to a turning point and decided he had to do something about his mental health. As well as a farmer, Mark is a facilitator with the Rural Support Trust and is a key ambassador for the organisation Farmstrong, advocating for better mental health and self-care for farmers. Mark, it's so wonderful to have you here on the Let's Check In podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks, Susie. Yeah, lovely to be here. Now, your family has been connected to the land in New Zealand just shy of 100 years. That's pretty extraordinary. What changes have you noticed in the environment over your family's years on the land? 1931, my my grandfather purchased the, the farm here and ran uh, sheep and beef, and, and my dad and mum and dad um, followed on from, from them and, and had sheep and beef as well. Um, and we bought the farm in 1995. So it's, it's been, been massive changes. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up, it was on a gravel road. Um, there was just farms um, here on, on Norwegian Road. Fast forward to now and, and we're surrounded by lifestyle blocks. Um, so we're sort of farming in, inside a fishbowl to a certain extent. As far as the environment goes, a lot has changed there as well. I remember my grandfather on um, mum's side, he was a dairy farmer, and his advice to me was just keep putting the fertiliser on, put as much as you can. And, and he couldn't understand when I, was, when, when I would say, and times have changed, we, we only put what we need on. We do all the nutrient budgets, we um, do, do soil tests, make sure we, we're not overburdening the land with fertiliser. He, he couldn't really understand that. So, you know, 60, 70 years ago, a dairy farm would hose 
the effluent from the cow shed and it would all just run down the hill into the stream. So huge changes. I mean, we have state-of-the-art effluent systems to make sure none of that happens. We put it back onto the pasture uh, as fertiliser, um, use it in that way. The farm's changed a lot. Even in the last seven or eight years, I've done a lot of wetland restoration. So uh, whereas probably my grandfather would be... Um, putting a lot of drainage in and trying to turn those wetlands into paddocks and, and pasture. We've gone back the other way and we've, in the last six or seven years, we've planted 30,000 native trees and shrubs, fenced off all the wetlands. And, and there's a massive um, focus on the environment. Climate change, we hear so much about it, um, and we realise we are part of the problem. So we're doing as much as we can to reduce that and absorb some of the emissions that are coming from our cows. So yeah, huge, huge changes in, in that time. In 1995, you converted the farm to dairy, which I assume also would have included you acquiring new land in that time. That would have been a pretty big leap when you did that. How did that transition go for you? Oh, it was a massive job when we think back to it. We had a young family. I think um, Brooke, our eldest, was two and Josh was one and Kate who you've met, she was born a year later. So in that time, we had to put a, a house on the on the farm. We um, shifted a, an old villa from an, another town. So truck that on, had to build a, a cow shed, which um, is a yeah a big investment, do a lot of fencing, basically re redesign the whole farm. At that stage, our bank declined us for finance as well, because we were too risky. We were asking for too much money. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing more satisfying than, well, we um, we found another bank to back, back us and um, it's, it's pretty motivating to have a bank tell you you can't, you, it's not going to work. Um, it gives you motivation to actually make it work. So I know it was, it was a massive job at the time. Um, I was working with my dad. He, he was he was helping out doing, converting it as well. But uh, I've had my mental health struggles and that wasn't one of them. I was... Um, full steam ahead at that stage yeah it was a stressful time but nothing I couldn't handle at all I was um yeah I I had a fantastic childhood um went away to boarding school loved that uh went to university in Christchurch and and um the world was my oyster if you like and how we went traveling overseas for three years did our OE and got into farming when we got home and I I was um full steam ahead at everything. It wasn't until probably four or five years later uh, that the, the wheels started falling off <laughs> in terms of my, my mental health. Can you walk us through, you know, that period of your life and what that, what that looked like? It was about seven years ago that everything came to a head, but it was probably whew, um, at least 10 years prior to that, that um things weren't good and uh, like I was suffering from pretty bad depression and anxiety but uh, not all the time of course you know I'd, I'd have sort of my ups and downs on the farm uh, for me the the hard time of year was during the winter and spring springtime um, constant rain which is carving, is it? Yeah, all the cows are carving and you just don't know which way to run some, some days. It's it's full on. I, I really blamed farming. Like we've touched on a family farm, um, I felt 
almost trapped you know it was um it felt like a prison at times yeah if there is such a place as, as hell i don't think there's fire there i think uh it's it's raining constantly and the, there's 20 cars being born a day and <laughs> but look if it wasn't the farming that was the problem it was the way i was thinking about it it was my my thoughts and my emotions yeah I, I don't know if it was embarrassment or i just wouldn't i couldn't face the fact that i had problems um and i really distinctly remember about 15 years ago maria my wife um she said to me look i remember distinctly she said you know it's november um the winter's finished because she, she understood that that was my hard time of year she said the winter's finished the cows have all finished calving but you're still not very good do you think you should go to and see the doctor and maybe try some medication and i just remember it being felt like a, a real kick in the guts from her the the way i looked at it then was i it felt like she was calling me weak and the biggest thing was the kids were young then i thought i have to be the rock in the family i have to be the the head of the family if you like and i just was desperate for them not to know that underneath it all i was just i was a bloody blithering idiot that felt like having a really good cry mm -hmm. um i really wish i'd listened to maria 15 years ago it would have saved a few more years of, of anguish but seven years ago it really came to a head i remember exactly where i was i was in paddock number three just getting the cows in one morning it was dark it was it was raining and there wasn't any one particular thing that was really troubling me at, at that stage so it was just a like a bolt from the it, it just suddenly suddenly just the whole world just felt like it was just closing in on me um and i had this overwhelming fear um and i was honestly I was, I, I was looking around in the dark trying to see what was coming to attack me. It, it felt that that awful. And I describe it as um, when, if you're watching a, a horror movie and that, you know, something comes out of the screen at you and frightens you, um, that awful feeling you have for a split second, that a rush of adrenaline, uh that ex exact feeling but it lasted for 10 minutes mm. and it felt like 10 minutes it was probably a lot <laughs> lot shorter but it was just disgusting you know i was shaking my heart was racing and and sweating you know i i broke out into a sweat and i, I just didn't know what why <laughs> i didn't know what was happening oh, Mark. So I had a massive panic attack and I didn't realize it at the time, but my heart goes out to people who have those panic attacks because it's honestly the, the worst feeling I've ever felt. So what did I do after, I mean, it, it passed, but I had to just carry on and um, finish getting the cows in for milking. Um, carry on with milking, deal with staff. I, I couldn't just ring up the boss and say, you know, I need some stress leave because um, I was the boss and we're self-employed. We, we just have to keep going. So it, re it really, really frightened me. But, you know, you'd think I'd do something about it, but I was still, I was still, I don't know, I was too proud to um, do anything. 
So that wasn't the turning point. The turning point, luckily, Maria, my wife, it was about a week later and we were at a family barbecue up at mum and dad's. And I've got four brothers. There's five of us. A lot of people say you're poor mother, but <laughs> she, uh, she doesn't see it that way. And in fact, she drives around Cambridge here with a, um, she's got a number plate, Margaza. <laughs> around the top, it says, um, mother to five legends <laughs> oh that's fantastic she doesn't mind that she didn't have any daughters i think she'd be proud of us even if we were all um drug dealers or <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so we we're all at this barbecue um and the guys were all talking to each other and all the the wives were all talking to each other and maria told jane my brother's wife that i was really struggling um oh, sorry um okay. um and she, she we came home and and maria just um she she told me that she'd let my secret out if you like she'd told jane and i just i just couldn't believe it i, I was so angry at her for um you know i just felt so angry um and then i get a call from my brother mike he said, mate, I have to come. I'm coming to see you. And I just, I was, I was so angry at Maria. You know, Mike is um, my brother who's, at that stage, I was just totally looked up to him. Um, so successful, fantastic family, um, his own business. He was one of the most positive, happy people I knew. And he wasn't farming either. So I thought he's just not going to understand what I'm, what I'm going through. Not that I had all that as well. That was the crazy thing. You know, I had a fantastic wife and kids. And anyway, Mike came around. He walked in. He sat down. I thought he was just going to come around and say, look, you know, mate, um, give me a hug and say whatever I can do to help, which would have been nice, of course, but I didn't think he'd understand. Mike sits down and he said, mate, I've been on antidepressants for five years. You know, how, what a crazy situation that oh, here we have two brothers that absolutely love each other, spend so much time together. I had no idea that five years prior he'd been through such an awful time and he had no idea that what I was going through. And he started describing all the things he'd been through five years prior to that. And in my head, I, I was just going tick, 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 exactly the same. The things I was going through were exactly the same as what he'd been through, and we we hadn't even talked about it, you know. Um, and then, the, as I said, there's five of us, and when we finally started talking about it, our, our next brother said to us, why the fuck didn't you guys talk about this? Because he was, you know, he was going, he'd been through exactly the same thing, and to a certain extent we're all, Wow. I mean, yeah, now it's a huge priority for us. We sit down and have mental health talks all the time. But look, and that was the turning point, Mike, my brother, coming to see me. The first thing I did, I went to the GP. He put me on medication, which that's a whole not another conversation. I, I'm absolutely fine with medication. It didn't changed me as a person i had no side effects and it wasn't addictive i'm i'm not on not on it anymore but 
that was fine as far as I'm concerned. And it just, you know, I don't know, it just gave you hope that, okay, I'm doing something about this. Um, even um, or the way I look at it with medication, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to be having, a, taking a, mm. a chemical each day. And, and the way I looked at it, you know, when I brush my teeth, I'm using a chemical to clean my teeth and, I don't see it as any different. I would take it at the same time as I clean my teeth, taking a chemical for my teeth and a chemical to help the imbalance I had in my brain, if you like. Mm. But Dr. Paul Stevens, our GP, I was just lucky that Farmstrong, a uh, wellness program for farmers, had just been a, uh, launched. A bit, I was about a year prior to that. And he told me to have a look at Farmstrong. Uh, and I did that. And fantastic resource to help the five ways to wellness on the Farmstrong website which is taken from the mental health foundation in new zealand um i i pretty much i used used them and i use them now every day of my life fantastic resource so from that point on there's no silver bullet you didn't get better overnight um, but i was steadily improving and getting really well by medication and using the Farmstrong resources, but I was still, I didn't want to, I didn't want anyone to know. I was still embarrassed about it, which is a crazy, crazy thing now when I think about it. But what, what happened, unfortunately, I lost um, a, a really good friend to suicide. After that, he was our relief milker on our farm for 12 years he, he was in his 70s and I, I distinctly remember one of the days you know when it was I was really struggling I was it was pouring with rain I was getting cows in I was feeling miserable about life and I remember um hearing the sound and I thought what the hell is that and I I turned my motorbike off and uh it was Alan our relief milker singing he was bringing another herd in and he was singing at the top of his voice. He absolutely loved it. And it just, it actually showed me how you can be in exactly the same situation, but depending on your perspective as to whether it's a, a good day or a bad day. Um, but yeah, he, um, he took his own life. And I had absolutely no idea uh, of what he was going through. And I hadn't talked about my issues at that stage either um also lost to maria's nephew um he was 25 a, a farmer as well um took his own life and it, it was actually at his not his funeral it was a it was a, a rosary the night before actually after the rosary everyone was sitting around and having a, a drink open casket and as you do, you know, you pay pay tribute to Scott. Um, and there was a lot of stories about, you know, all his friends were there. Oh, and it's absolutely natural to pay tribute to, to people. But some of them got to the point where they were saying, you know, we understand, Scott, that you had to do this almost. And it really became really troubling to me listening to the tributes because I thought, man, if there's anyone in this room that's suffering and going through this, the same sorts of issues, they're going to see this 
as honourable or the you know the the answer almost at that point I hadn't I hadn't told anyone this is my wife's family I hadn't told anyone obviously that the issues that I'd been through but I just stood up I didn't know what I was going to say and I just said look I've been through some of the same sorts of things that Scott's been through I had no idea and I haven't told anyone but please you know I've spent the last nine months of I'm in a much better place now there is an answer life does get better please if you're going through the same sorts of issues as Scott has please talk to someone reach out um, and I heard afterwards that three people that were there actually reached out and got help. Um, and it was at that point that I thought I've got to I've got to talk to as many people as I can and try and help people and help them realise that life's fucking amazing. <laughs> Sorry, it's okay. It's so so good. Mark, that's that's an incredible story, and I'm really sorry that you. Firstly, that was your experience for you and for your friend on the farm and also your nephew. That's that's extraordinary. And, you know, that courage that you showed in that moment of standing up and speaking up, you know, you might not have spoken about it before that point, but you took a really brave step in that moment and stood up and told people that would have taken so much courage to do so. And to hear the other people that gave them the courage to then mm. go and speak to somebody to get help, I think is such a powerful thing. Like that's that's so extraordinary. What patterns have you noticed since becoming more, I guess, open about sharing your story? Gee, it was a, just a revelation to me when I started talking about it. I was At that stage, I was actually writing a, a, a fortnightly col- column in a farming newspaper and the you know the next column I wrote was about mental health and what I'd been through and uh, yeah and just asking what what's going on you know with um, with the suicide rates because uh, it is higher and in, in um, farming and in 75% of suicides are male as well um, and I, so I wrote this column and I said, I've been really, you know, I've really struggled and I've, you know, told my story that I've just told you really. And I had my email at the bottom of the column and um, oh my goodness, um, I got flooded with emails from people that um, thanked me and, and um, you know, had been through similar things. So it was, it was just, it was humbling to, um, you, once you start talking about it, you realise how common it is and, what you can do to get better and you know i'd talk about it with farmers one-on-one after that and and just to realize you know when when they'd say yeah that happens to me too you know i'd just talk about specific things like falling into bed just exhausted and sleeping but then waking up at two o'clock in the morning and your mind just goes berserk you know worrying about stuff you're trying to get back to sleep but you're you know, you can't and, and then your alarm goes at five in the morning and you've got to get up and, and do it all again. So I remember talking to people about that and they would be, that's exactly what happens to me too. <laughs> so I, I'm really, you know, gutted that I had so many years of just 
hiding it all away just is uh, the, absolutely the worst thing you can do. So, yeah, it's amazing when you start talking. And it helps me with my recovery. Part of my whole intention around the Let's Check In podcast is about, you know, the statistics are not good. They're not good for human beings. And we need to start working in preventative ways to try and mitigate some of this risk that we have as adults, but also for our young people. And the more that we talk about this stuff, mm. the easier it becomes for us to digest, understand that it's not to be shamed. It's part of human emotions that we experience. And when we come together, like your experience with your brothers, mm. like the enormous capacity to heal in those moments and to also be honest, like I think there's huge power in that and agency. It's beautiful to hear you say now, you know, how beautiful life is and how extraordinary it is. And sometimes it's experiencing those really low points that we then realise mm. the gravity and the importance of yeah. how good it can be. Yeah, absolutely. I sort of wish I had never experienced it, but also, man, it makes life so so good now. I mean, sometimes you do have to go through the valleys to and climb before you appreciate the view, the view from the top of the mountain. Yeah. It has made me a better person, a, a hopefully a better dad, um, a better husband and a better farmer as well. So I don't regret what I went through, but I wouldn't wish it on anyone at the same time. I get that. You are a facilitator with the Royal Support Trust and you're an ambassador for the organisation Farmstrong, which you also mentioned before. Mm. What are the things that you've started to notice in this space of farmer-to-farmer -farmer support? Yeah, uh, well, they're both fantastic organisations. So the Rural Support Trust is a um, number that people can ring 24-7. There's three ladies in our area that look after the phones. It's right throughout New Zealand, but I'm part of the Waikato Coromandel Hauraki area um, in the central North Island but basically there's about 30 of us similar to me you know mainly older farmers with a bit of life experience um, so anyone can ring ring the number and the ladies that answer the phone decide the facilitator that will be suitable you know it might be close by or it might be a lady wanting a female facilitator that'll happen so we go and sit down with the person that's called and just have a coffee and talk through how we can help. Um, there's so many different scenarios. You know, there's, you know, it could be relationship issues or um, mental health issues, which obviously I I can help with. Um, but we're not experts. We're all just um, farmers giving our time or uh, rural people. Um, but we, you know, through our network, we can um, uh, connect them with whatever they need, um, say if they, if they do need a, a counsellor or a psychologist or wh whatever it is, we can generally short circuit the system. Like if you go to your GP in New Zealand and you need a, a psychologist, it's months waiting <laughs> in the public system. So mm -hmm. we've got the connections that we can get them in and get the help that they need. And it's a charity, we, we have funds so we can provide the funding if they if they can't afford it as well. So fantastic service and the rural support trust gets when there's natural disasters or in new zealand as you know we have our fair share of earthquakes and yeah. um we had the cyclone gabriel in february um which really hammered a lot of new zealand um so that's where the R rural support trust will kick in and you know organize 
um, aid packages for people and um, you know there's still a, a lot of fencing to be done down in the Hawke's Bay so there will st still be groups of farmers getting together and going and helping um, that sort of thing mm. so Farmstrong is not a one-on-one -on -one service it's a website you can look at uh, a wellness program and does does things like I, I go and speak to groups of farmers like I'm doing this Thursday down in Taumaranui <laughs> and yeah, I'll talk to them about my my story and and what I've done to get better and like you, you're talking about farmer to farmer support well it, also Farmstrong produced a book live well farm well uh, and it's basically 29 farmers I think it was farmers and growers telling their story about overcoming adversity um, so you know when I go out to see someone for the, for the Rural Support Trust, I sit down and have a coffee with someone. I'll take a copy of that book and um, I'll leave that book with them. You know, there's been, I think, 15,000 printed and distributed amongst farmers. And when a farmer can open up the book and read about other farmers that have been through adversity and, uh, yeah, it, it does open up that conversation. So um, that's where Farmstrong comes in. So two great organisations. It sounds like New Zealand are um, quite amazing trailblazers in this space of farming and mental health. Would that be fairly accurate? I think so. I haven't experienced it too much in other countries, but actually Farmstrong has launched in Scotland. They chose me, which is, uh, was pretty humbling to go over and do a, a bit of a speaking tour around Scotland and, and help launch it. Wow, Mark, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that was in February. So I wasn't here for Cyclone Gabriel. But I, I did notice the farmers in Scotland were at the same point as we were before Farmstrong started. Uh, a lot less people talking about wellness and mental health. I'm 57. So, but when I was growing up in teenage years, and yeah, no one talked about mental health I just remember the only thing you heard about mental health when I was growing up was you know we had a to Tokenui hospital there's a mental hospital not far from us and if anyone did have issues you know they'd get carted off there and you'd never hear from them again so you just you didn't I think that's maybe why I, I kept it quiet for so long because you, you maybe you were worried about uh, what's going to happen to you if you um, spoke up but it is much better now everyone's talking about wellness in scotland so where it's relatively new for people to speak about and acknowledge how was it received when you went over once again it was pretty humbling having the conversations after the the talks and i did some looking around and, and some farm visits we went to this farm because the the farmer had been at my talk the night before and i remember looking around the farm and it was absolutely perfect uh, everything was top notch really really good farmer and I just remember thinking oh this guy wouldn't have got anything from my talk last night because he's got everything sorted and towards the end of the the visit I was walking down the hill beside him and he he opened up to me and said he'd he'd actually had a doctor's appointment that morning for something else but he he said I got in that doctor's room and I broke down in tears. He said, so much of what you said last night, just I was mirroring exactly what I'm feeling. I talk about a broken fence post in, in my talks. He even pointed and said, there's my broken fence post. And uh, 
yeah, it was it was amazing to to think. You know, I, I was thinking he this guy's got it all sorted, and uh, no, it's uh, it's amazing how common it is. It was humbling in Scotland to have a bit of an impact and to to help people. You're helping change people's lives, Mark. Well, um, yeah, that's one of the five ways to wellness on the on the Farmstrong or Mental Health Foundation website is is giving because you know there's been some pretty amazing a lot of scientific studies to show that giving actually makes the the giver feel good as well and it does you could say i'm being a little bit selfish because i'm (laughs) i do it because it makes me feel good as well and it really boosts my mental health i think we've got a great story where um susie you met my daughter kate in a in a real time of need and um their their um the story i've heard from kate is that they were the just landed in um in brazil i think it was is mm-hmm. that where aguazo falls is Iguazu falls yeah just landed and none of their cards would work at any of the atms and they were absolutely they didn't know what to do i think it was um late at night and the taxi driver was demanding that they pay and they went to three different atms and they wouldn't give them any money and um susie and matt came to the rescue and gave them some money to to help them out and look at how much good has come from that so it's yeah <laughs> um it comes back to you in in so so many ways it really does and there was some kind of alignment there where we were supposed to get in touch because it was as a couple of uh, maybe four or five days later after that exchange and meeting each other that we met um Kate and Brendan again in Mendoza which is about 2,000 kilometers from Iguazu um we hadn't we hadn't organized it we hadn't coordinated it and we ran into each other at a Saturday farmer's market at all places (laughs) um and now and now friends and now that's how you and I connected I just think that's quite extraordinary um and beautiful beautiful people so yeah you're right sometimes it does but sometimes it's just about what's the right thing to do you know yeah yeah um and that was the right thing to do and it sounds like in your in your moments too it's um what's the right thing to do in this situation and intuitively you have that in spades yeah yeah which is really beautiful to shine a light on the five ways to wellness um one of them being giving i built things into my everyday like forgiving it doesn't have to be a, a massive thing like um going to scotland and talking to a group of farmers it just has to be uh i i just buy a coffee for someone or um you know, I, I try and make a habit every day. I try and um, tell someone, you know, compliment someone. Um, so, yeah, just little things like that. Just um, a thousand small things is what, um, you know, builds your, your your wellness. You're looking fantastic today, actually, Susie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Tick, you, yep, yep. you tick that one off. Well done. <laughs> I bought everyone a coffee this morning at the coffee shop too. It cost me $35. Mate, you're ahead for tomorrow as well. Yeah. <laughs> Still yeah. some in the bank. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark, let's talk a little bit more about those five stages to wellness that you have mentioned before and those preventative measures, I suppose, for really managing well-being and what people can do you say five ways to wellness so they're off the mental health foundation of new zealand uh heaps of information on there but i 
I pretty much use I used them uh, to get myself to where I am today, but and I I use them every day. Uh, so the and in no particular order, but number one is um, connect with people. When I was not well, the last thing I wanted to do was um, to be around people. It was you know I'd we'd be invited out for parties or barbecues or whatever it was, and all I felt like doing was sitting at home on the couch feeling sorry for myself, and I avoided lots of things and absolutely the worst thing I, I could do for, for my mental health. So connecting is huge for me. Like I went to the gym this morning. There's a group of us. We call ourselves Average Joes, and um, it's just a total range of ages and, and um, jobs. You know, we've got an accountant. We've got an IT guy, a builder, mechanic, um, all ages, just the banter at the gym. Then we, we head down to the Waikato River and have a swim. And then we, this is really early in the morning. And then we straight up to the, to homebrew coffee and have a, and have a coffee. Um, and it's, it's as much about the exercise, but it's also about the, the connecting with people. I just work on my connecting in so many little ways. I was at the beach on the weekend. And if I'm going for a walk on the beach, I make a point of saying, good morning to absolutely everyone walking the other way and I always say if someone hasn't got a smile give them one of yours so I try and do that yeah if it's a, a young lady sometimes they look at me as if I'm some kind of creep but that's all right so that's connecting <laughs> number two also in no order but um, being active and that's the great thing if you can combine two of the five ways to be honest you know, I went to the gym this morning I was being active but I was also connecting with other people it really helped me to understand what's going on in my brain by doing a bit of research and what happens when you're really stressed and anxious. There's a part of your brain called the amygdala, the sort of prehistoric part of your brain. And it's sort of like a, a smoke alarm. A smoke alarm doesn't understand whether your house is burning down or you've just burnt the toast. And the amygdala is the same. It doesn't understand whether there's a, a bloody lion coming to kill you or you're just worked up about not having enough grass for the cows or you've got too many emails to deal with and you're too busy, your amygdala fires off and it shuts down the rest of your brain. I couldn't think properly. I couldn't make simple decisions um, when mm. I was really, really anxious. And what it's doing is it fires a whole lot of cortisol, the stress hormone into your system and adrenaline. It, it puts you into fight or flight mode. It's trying to get you away from the danger or um, fight back. So I, I find being active, pulling on the running shoes, jumping on the bike, going and punching a punching bag or something, I think it fools my brain into thinking actually he's, he's running away from the danger or, or he's fighting. It just replaces that cortisol with, it burns it off and it um, replaces it with the endorphins and, um, and dopamine and all the good hormones and neurotransmitters. So that's what being active does for me. I've taken probably to an extreme i've done um quite a few marathons and ultra marathons and ironman triathlons and uh, yeah oh wow i love it sounds like a great strategy we've already talked about giving but that is such a good way to help your wellness so that's one of the five ways taking notice or mindfulness is another one of the ways about 10 years ago maria my wife she she bought a blue master 3 car and um, i remember thinking at the time mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's that's a cool car. I, I like that. 
and um, I haven't seen many of them around. It's going to be quite nice to have something. It's a little bit unique. But as soon as we started driving it, blue Mazda 3s everywhere. <laughs> have, you, have you ever noticed that? You, you get a new car <laughs> and suddenly you notice that yeah. car everywhere. And it's, it's not because everyone rushed out and bought Mazda 3s because Mark and Maria Gascoigne had one. They were always there, but my brain just <laughs> hadn't noticed them. And subconsciously, we don't even know we're doing it. We're telling our brain to scan the world and take notice of blue Mazda 3s. But it's exactly the same. If you're taking notice of the shit that's happening in your life, your brain takes that cue and it scans the world and feeds you more examples of the shit that's happening in your life and reinforces the way you're thinking. That was exactly me. I remember a broken fence post beside our cow shed. I'd go past it every day thinking, I must mm. fix that. That was the first thought. The next day was, you useless bastard, you haven't you haven't fixed that. And it took me like two months to get it fixed. It would really annoy me. As soon as I had time to get it fixed, the next time I went past it, didn't even notice it. And I'd notice another broken post a bit further down the track, you know. So now, taking notice, anything I do on the farm, I achieve and fix up, no matter how small, I will um, stop and I'll look at that fence post and go, yep, I've done that. That looks awesome. And so I celebrate every small achievement as many times as I can. So it's like flipping my thinking. Instead of taking notice of the shit that's happening, I'm taking notice of the good stuff. So every night when I get in the shower, I've got to think of three things that have gone well that day. When I get into bed at night, before I go to sleep, I think of three things that I'm looking forward to. So just little strategies like that, that's taking notice. Mindfulness is just what I've talked about, stopping and looking at the fence post and going, that that's awesome. I often, on the farm, I stop and just take five minutes to look around and, and go, this is amazing where we live. I like the one with the fence post because one, it's like level of expectation that we have of ourselves. But two, like say you fix the fence post, our brain's scanning for the next item. We're kind of wired that way, aren't we, to make sure that we're on to the next project. We're almost on automatic where we don't really think about stopping until we have a moment where we learn through observation of noticing what we're doing and having mindfulness, like you say, taking that that moment to stop mm. in the paddock or stop wherever you are and just notice where you are, where you're at, what you've done, how grateful yep. you are for what you've got. That can be a really powerful yeah. thing. And I, yeah. I like that because I know myself, like I definitely struggle with, you know, that expectation of myself. People talk about perfectionism and being recovering perfectionists and then maybe rebranding that to be like, oh, well, aiming for excellence rather than perfectionism, which I personally think is a bit of a rebrand yeah. in itself. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, <laughs> that's a really hard thing to live with because you know that you can achieve certain things, but if you don't achieve that to that level, it can be really challenging to sit yeah. with and be okay with, like in your heart, know that you've given it your absolute um, everything. Yeah. But someone recently said to me, I think it was Hayley Leak. She was um, a pain yeah. doctor at University of South Australia. She's also, if you watch Survivor, she won the Brain versus Brawn back in 2021. 
And she was talking about, you know, the level of expectation that we have on ourselves and yeah, yeah. being really mindful of that all we really need to do is make sure that we're doing the best that we can with the information that we have at the time. And sometimes that is enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I would get overwhelmed with how much I had to do. I'd make a list of the things I had to do and I would just be overwhelmed by how much was on it. Um, but And now I uh, have a list of things I need to do and I really celebrate when I cross off something off that list. Something will come up and I'll have to do a job and I'll have to get it done. And, oh, that wasn't on my list, even if I've already done it, but I'll go back and write it on the list and then cross it out. I'm celebrating achieving something, you know, uh, just, That's awesome. just little things like that. They all add up, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, the fifth way to wellness is to keep learning. And that has really benefited me because I've learned so much about how the brain works. It's to do with the neurotransmitters and the chemicals in your brain and there's physical reasons for the way you're feeling. It's not as I thought because I'm just a bloody weak and um, a pussy, a pathetic. Um, absolutely not. So all the learning I've done about how the brain works has really helped my wellness but yeah well, you've got to keep challenging yourself you've got to keep stepping out of your comfort zone especially as we get older i think as we get older and we get set in our ways that we tend to get grumpier and <laughs> grumpier things i've done to try and keep learning i mean i've picked up a guitar and taught myself i'm still no good that's the good thing about social media youtube how to just keeping those brain cells active definitely helps our wellness listen to a podcast with Susie on it you're <laughs> going to learn a heap so it's just going to help your wellness so those are the five ways I use pretty much every day of my life that is fantastic and you're talking to farmers about this as well right yeah absolutely I leave a brochure with the five ways to wellness from Farmstrong and I, I leave them the book and that's all on there and direct them to the website this is a question that we ask every um, guest on the podcast, but I'm interested to know, because I think it's something that we all grapple with in one way or another, um, because we're human beings, but what are you feeling uncertain about at the moment, Mark, and how are you best supporting yourself? Compared to how I was seven years ago, I am not feeling uncertain about as many things as I was then. Maybe it's a little bit of age and wisdom. Back then, I was so worried about things that I couldn't control. I remember the, the, it sort of coincided with a year of when the milk payout was really low. And I remember the, it was such a stupid thing to do, but I actually we were going to lose money for the, for the year, for the financial year. So I, and I sat down and worked out how much we were going to lose and divided that up into how many days. And so I'd be pulling my, my gumboots on um, to go out to do a day's work and I'd be thinking, oh, I'm paying this much money to do. Uh, yeah. And just the way I was thinking about things was, was terrible. So now, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainties with farming, the sustainability of farming. I mean, we've got a lot of regulation and legislation coming at us from government. I could get really uh, worked up about it, but a lot of that can be out of our control. So I'll, I'll do what I can and um, not get overly worried about it. And there's talk of, I hear it probably two or three times a day at the moment, um, El Nino, the weather pattern, that's going to be a, a hot, dry summer. Um, and yeah, I, I, years ago, I would 
be I'd be worried about that all the time. But now, what, what's the point? I mean, we've got we we plant we put turnips in a crop for the cows for the summer. We've got a lot of silage um, in the pits, so um, bring it on. It's yeah, we're we're ready for it. Um, so a really good tool that I use every day. I used to worry about things a lot. Trouble with farming maybe is we we have a lot of time inside our own head. Um, we're working alone a lot of the day, and I would just catastrophize. You know, I'd, it might be something simple like you know one of my employees might have said something that annoyed me or something, and I would you know spend the next three hours thinking about it and and ruminating on it and. We go through scenarios in our mind. You know, I should have said this back to him, and what would he have said back to me? And you know, but now, when something like that happens, something small might annoy me. I've got my delete button in my head. So, as soon as that first negative thought pops into my head, I'll quickly analyze it. Is it worth worrying about? And ninety percent of the things we worry about are just not worth worrying about. And I'll physically think just delete it takes a bit of practice but honestly two minutes later if you asked me what i was worried about i wouldn't be able to tell you because i've just got rid of it mm. that's my tool that i use the delete button that's a really good strategy i've read about it that you know like 80 percent of what we worry about doesn't actually happen and i th i think apparently you know the 20 percent that does happen um i think it's something like 90 percent of people went that it does happen to handle the situation better than what they thought. So I don't know. I'm not very good at I'm not very good at maths, but I think that leaves you about two percent of your worries are actually worth worrying about. So 98 percent of it, don't worry. Mm. Certain amount of anxiety is a good thing for us. I mean, we it motivates us to get things done. It's uh, it's just when it becomes overwhelming that uh, yeah. We need to do something about it. Now, people can follow Rural Support Trust via www.rural-support.org.newzealand forward slash and the Mental Health Foundation of New Zealand via mentalhealth.org.newzealand forward slash. Mark Gascoigne, it has been an absolute privilege hearing your story. Thank you so much for your time on the Let's Check In podcast. Oh, thanks very much, Susie. I've been, yeah, been great to be with you. This is the final episode of season one of the Let's Check In podcast. I'm so grateful for you tuning in each week. And I must say a really huge thank you to my insightful and generous guests who have shared so generously this season. I really do look forward to bringing you season two in 2024. But in the meantime, feel free to rate five stars, leave a review, or get involved in our conversations across Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok. Thanks for checking in with me today. I'm your host, Susie McAvale. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave a review. If you'd like to find out more about the Let's Check In podcast, head to the website letscheckinpodcast.com where there's loads of information in the show notes. You can also follow us at Let's Check In Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and TikTok. This podcast is not a licensed mental health service and it is not a substitute for professional mental health advice. 
If something has come up for you in this episode, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This podcast has been made with the help of Pod and Pen Productions. 